Today we're going to finish a two-week quick look overview of the life of Daniel in this journey through the whole Old Testament narrative. And if you're just coming in today to this study, you may carry with you what I think some of us had in our minds before we started this look, and that is that the Old Testament is largely uh, irrelevant for us today. We focus so much on the New Testament, or we see the Old Testament as a collection of separate stories, each with some moral about our life. But what we've learned is that, in fact, it's one story with a grand theme. We've also found it unbelievably relevant and never more relevant than this particular circumstance with Daniel and those from Judah who had been exiled to Babylon. And the big question that we're wrestling with is the same question they wrestled with. How do I live as a believer in an unbelieving world? How do I live as a believer in one true God in a pluralistic world? And it's unbelievably relevant to us today if you think about it. Jesus said, personally, he made this claim. I am the way, the truth, the life. The language there is intended to be exclusive. He's saying, I'm the way, I'm the one, the unique. That's our message. That's the person we worship and who we represent to the world. But we live in a world that says there is no single way to God. There's many ways to God. Who am I to tell you your way is any worse or better than mine? If it works for you, see, that's, that's a pluralistic world. Jesus said, I'm the way. We live in a world that says there is no central truth, really. There's just your truth and my truth, right? What's true to you may not be true for me. Truth is a relevant thing, but to that world, our Jesus says, I'm the truth. I'm the embodiment of truth. Anything contradictory to me as a person, to what I represent, is not true. Jesus said, I'm the life, which, of course, we, we know is not just about eternal life. It's about the life that he came to give us, that which is abundant and full, the life that God intended for us. But yet our culture says there's so many lives. There's so many ways to live your life. Who are we to judge? How incredibly relevant then the story of Daniel is because the, the Jews of the Old Testament in this 70-year period find themselves living for the first time outside of a culture that validates and whose institutions supported their faith systems, just like we do today in, in Western culture. I want to take you to a, another part of Jesus' teaching about how his followers would relate to culture around them. Just real quickly, and it's going to become our filter to finish up this story of Daniel, and it's in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus mentions three marks of his followers. Matthew chapter 5, I'm going to begin reading at verse 11. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And by the way, Daniel was one of the prophets. We're going to see how he was persecuted in just a moment. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father 
in heaven. Jesus mentions three things that will mark the life of his followers in relation to culture around them. Let me just list them quickly for you. Hurt. (laughs) Hurt is one reality in our lives. And then what the world is supposed to experience from us is they are to see us as salt and light, both metaphorical ideas that we're going to explore as we look back at Daniel. But we're going to have hurt. He said it's a normal part of life. Opposition will come. Salt, meaning we will bring change for good into the culture around us. Light, meaning that by how we live our lives, people will be drawn to God. Those three things commingle into the life of a follower of Christ, and we're going to see them demonstrate. This is a powerful illustration. The story that Jennifer just read for us is a powerful illustration of all three of these principles. The first one we see back in Daniel is the salt principle. And the salt principle is simply this. Christians are change agents in culture. Do you remember last week we spent a lot of time looking at that? There were those who had gone with the exiles into Babylon, and there was a false prophet who remained in Jerusalem who was their primary voice. And he was saying, God's going to deliver you in two years. So they were forming a little cloistered community outside of Babylonia rather than getting engaged in the culture. And, and, and they're being told by these false prophets, don't get engaged, separate yourself out from culture. And the fear was that if they didn't do that, they would assimilate, they'd get lost in the culture. That was the false message. So Jeremiah has to write them, and this verse summarizes in Jeremiah chapter 29 what they were told. There's a lengthy chapter, you can read it, but let's say this together. Build houses and settle down, plant gardens, marry, increase in number, seek the peace and prosperity of the city. Jeremiah was saying, it's God's plan that you're there, so settle in. See, it's neither assimilate nor is it separate. It's engage the culture, matter to the culture, but yet maintain your identity, maintain who you are as a child of God, and seek the good of the city. Pray for the shalom of the city, which in Hebrew is not just peace, it's prosperity and wholeness on every level of our lives, all of them integrated. That's what we are to seek for the culture around us. And this culture was very antagonistic to God, but God was not antagonistic towards the culture, and neither should we be. Love the city of man for the sake of the city of God. That's the salt principle. And we see Daniel living it out. Verses 3 and 4, let's throw that up and let's say that together real quick. Daniel distinguished himself by his exceptional qualities. He was neither corrupt nor negligent. So here's what Daniel brings. He fully engages culture, becomes influential and successful. And there are three things that are characterized here. Verse 4 says he's incorruptible. He's diligent. Verse 3 says he has exceptional qualities. That's actually a, a hard Hebrew term to translate. It really means he has a spirit of excellence. This is what Daniel brings to culture. He brings everything he has to bear. He does it well. He does it with integrity. And he always strives for excellence. That's to be our relationship with culture around us. Just recently, we had a similar season when one prophet of Christian radio claimed that Jesus was going to come. People sold everything and 
got ready to go. Several cults began when one person said, I know the time Jesus is coming. We're going to be delivered from this land. People literally on that day not only liquidated all their assets, but put on white robes and went on their roofs to await for the coming of the Lord. He didn't come. That's God's business. We're to settle in where we are and make a difference in culture. That's what salt does. People say all things about what it means to be salt. Salt, that brings flavor. We're supposed to bring flavor to people's lives. Salt creates thirst. Oh, that's good. That's, oh, we create thirst for Jesus. It's kind of nice. That's what it means to you, what it means to me. But the question is, what does it mean? What did Jesus mean when he said, you're the salt of the earth? And back then, they didn't use salt for cooking. It was too precious. It wasn't something people sucked on and said, I need something to drink. Salt was a preservative. Yeah, I shouldn't have had that salt lozenger. Now I'm thirsty. (laughs) Do you know Jesus? No, salt was a preservative. Salt is a preservative. It interacts with something and brings about change, and, and that's what we're supposed to do. And here's another thing about what salt does. When salt interacts with, say, meat, it's drawn towards what is corrupted in order to preserve what is good. Now, that leads us to the next piece, and that is the uh, opposition principle. That process of preserving is a chemical reaction. That which is corruptible always fights back and resists. We think, yeah, I, I put the salt in the beef, wait a while, and I got beef jerky, and I'm good. But what happened to get there was a violent process chemically that destroyed anything that was corruptible. So it is in society, when you stand up for good, when you bring change that reflects the glory of God, there are, of course, those that will bless it. But those that are sold out to the corruptible nature of society will oppose it. Therefore, opposition, hurt, persecution is inevitable. And that's what happened to Daniel. Jesus said, of course it'll happen. They persecuted the prophets, didn't they? Here he is. And then he also said, they'll hate you because they'll hate me. You know the story. Jennifer read it for us. The satraps, the administrators who were co-equals with Daniel when they heard he was going to be put in charge of all of them, they had had enough. And so they attacked. And the, the first level they tried to attack was just to look into his character and see what they could pick about him. But it says that they were unable to find anything wrong with him. Wow. That's really powerful. And it ought to challenge us. To the level that we allow ourselves to conduct our business, to go about our schooling and our studies, to pay our taxes, to live as neighbors, to the degree that we assimilate into the culture, allow ourselves to slide morally because that's what everybody does. To the degree we do that, we open ourselves up for uh, the corruptible pieces of culture that will resist the change that we're to bring, and it will be our fault. It will be our fault when that will be found out. They looked at Daniel's life, and there was nothing. May we have such integrity, recognizing that all we do, we do it all to the glory of God. So not able to find anything actually to attack him, 
they turned his faith against him. Now, Darius was really conned here because it didn't occur to him that Daniel's faith, as much as he appreciated it and understood it, would put him at odds with the decree because he was told all of the administrators believed it. They played into his pride a little bit. Let's have a month, just a month, just a month where we focus everybody on you that gathers us together. We're many faiths, but yet we're one culture. Let's center on you. Let's for a month have everybody put aside all their other idols, all their other gods, and just worship you. That'll be good for the country. Now listen to this. This is, this is pretty important because this happens in our culture today. They created a situation where the very things that Daniel held with conviction became things that culture saw as an enemy. In fact, culture saw it as evil, worthy of punishment. Let's look at some examples of how that has happened today to us as Christians. Somewhere along the line, someone began to interject into the dialogue, for instance, about lifestyle choices, sexual orientation. The idea that if you don't validate my choice, then you hate me. Right? If you don't validate my choice, then you don't love me. You have to accept everything about me in order to love me. That's actually an intolerant position. It's not a tolerant position. It's an intolerant position. And what it does is it turns any of us who happen to believe that Scripture has a model for marriage that God intended, it turns us into hate mongers just by virtue of that conviction. Who made those rules up? Somebody made that rule up who decided the way to win is to turn a different point of view into something evil. A phobia. I, I reject that. How about this one? This is a little easier. Anybody who believes life exists in the womb is against women. You see how that makes us anti women, not pro infant? Elements of culture that are not open to dialogue, are not open to change falsely turn a different opinion into something evil rather than engaging it fairly and honestly. And we do it too. As Christians, we do it too. We need to say we're not going to play by those rules. But there are times that in spite of someone setting up those rules, we need to lovingly stay on course. We need to lovingly say what we believe with respect. That's what Daniel did. He could have gone underground for a month, but he didn't. He continued faithfully in his pursuit of God. He was seen as evil, and he was punished for it. It's important that we understand Jesus said, what's going to happen? I'm going to challenge you. If you're living in a way that you have never been uncomfortable, never been challenged, never in some way suffered loss because of your faith in Christ, you're living too safely. You're not engaged in culture in a way that you're bringing about change because Jesus said, if we're salt, the corruptible in society is going to fight back. That's going to happen. Now, I'm realizing as I'm saying this, I'm opening up all all sorts of conversation. So many things here for you to think about that I'm not going to wrap up neatly for you today, but you're a smart group. You'll figure it all out yourself. Or we'll come back to it. But then the third principle kicks in as well, and that's the light principle. Let's follow the progression. We are a change agent in the name of Christ to culture. 
And we are to work and bring good. And when Christians are thriving and, and on task and on mission and representing Jesus, culture is better because we're here. People are cared for. Unjustice is dealt with. Good is accomplished in the lives of people. But there are those that are devoted to what is corruptible in culture that will come against that. So persecution will be inevitable. But even with that, there will always be those who, when they see the light, turn to it. Find life. Find hope. That's the light principle. By our lives and message, others will see the path and become worshipers of God. That's what Jesus meant when he said, let your light shine so that others may see your good deeds. Praise your Father in heaven. And the illustration of that is Darius in this, right? He does see it. He responds. And we know that that's going to happen as well. That's the life to which God's called us. We're to engage with culture for its good and for God's glory. In the midst of that, there'll be those that don't like that change. They will villainize you like they villainized Daniel, like they villainized Christ himself. Don't be surprised. Don't be shocked. But always know that as you continue to let your light shine, there will be the Dariuses. There will be those who are hungry to get out of the darkness who are drawn to the light that they see in you. And in coming, they will see Christ. I have one more point I wanted to talk about, the miracle itself. I'll come back to that next week, the nature of the miracle and what it means for us today. There may be a fourth principle in there someplace for us. But for now, just a moment to think through in your heart what has come up to evaluate your place in culture. Are you one of those kind of Christians that's an isolationist, that you so separate your Christianity from the world around you that you know earthly good? It's time for you to get out of the salt shaker <laughs> into the world. Are you so assimilated into the way the world functions that there's no salt, there's no change, there's no light? Are you so fearful of what Jesus said you ought to expect that you're unwilling to suffer on any level so that some may see Christ in you and know life forever? I invite you as Christ's follower to step in, step up, move into culture, hold your integrity, pursue your faith. Always act in love towards all men, but always stand firm in your faith because that's the light that draws men and women to Christ. Father, we want to be that kind of a church. We want to be engaged for good in the lives of every person in this city. And we know that in the midst of that, there will be those who, when they see the good coming, will somehow resist. We know that that will be inevitable, but may we, even in those settings, always be loving, always be honoring of you, always be bringing grace. And Father, as we live that way, how ironic we're meeting in a school on a hill. <laughs> may we who sit here on this hill be a light to this city and that they may come to know Christ, to know life in Christ, into the city of God. In Jesus' name, amen.